we have skin tonal like tones from like ranging like from super light to super dark right like how do you label a group of people that have that much diversity within themselves right and how are we not speaking to like you know the things happening within that space like colorism and the hierarchy within blackness there's even one there right what's up y'all you're listening to thorn in my side and this is your host asa featherstone the fourth so today we got our first episode with a guest and i'm hyped on this one today i spoke with julia bond an apparel designer based out of portland who also is just an all-around creative and activist and a really good friend I believe we met a few years ago collaborating on a project that she had actually started titled Otherly, which used uh, physical color in fashion and clothing to have commentary and discussion on social color, which we'll talk a little bit more about later on the episode. We start things off spending a lot of time talking about her journey into the industry, which actually informs a lot of the conversation that happens afterwards. From the joys of working on a diverse team that has lots of representation and makes her feel empowered, all the way to the tensions that are created within that same organization that even gets Julia to protest the company. We actually don't go into too much detail in regards to the actions that took place in protesting her company. If you want to know those specifics, she talks about it and some other podcasts. For today, we're talking about the feelings that she had surrounding the experience rather than talking about the experience itself. No one experience that we talk about today defines who she is, but you'll see that each one collectively plays an instrumental role in telling her powerful story. She drops a ton of wisdom here and is truly an inspiration to me, as well as I'm sure a ton of other young black creatives out there. But all right, y'all have heard enough from me and we got a long one ahead of us, but stick around, I promise it's worth it. But let's just jump in. Oh, last note, we recorded this before the election happened. So there's a couple things that we talked about towards the end of the episode that um, show that we are a little bit unaware of the outcome. But we all know what's up now. Okay, let's go. What's up? Like you? Like how? I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know where we start. You? Isn't are... it so weird? It's almost like a like saying "How are you?" is like so not a, like just like all right. <laughs> <laughs> we sorry. Yeah, like you just don't know, especially like. We're in a moment, too, where you don't have opportunity to really interact with people on a regular basis. So, like, Mm -hmm. even, like, even if everything was cool and we were chilling, like, it would still be a lot to, like, ask someone, how are you, even if none of this other stuff was happening. But um, I know you've been on some moves and you've been, you've been, you've been all over the place. But just, like, if you could, like, briefly just, like, like how you holding up? How you doing? You okay? Like what's what's up? I'm okay. Um, I think uh now more than ever, I've had to really like address what self-care looks like. Um for me specifically. 
and it's it's not like uh going to target and buying a new outfit it's not uh hanging out with my friends and like just being around everybody um self-care like for me is starting to look a lot more like actually canceling plans and like just being alone in my apartment for a minute you know it's it's actually like filling my brain and reading books and like doing all that stuff because like protesting your employer is um not like something i think people just like do because they want to <laughs> like right 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 think that it, with that especially with the place i work being such a platform and a giant company it is extremely daunting and very scary so um i've had to really like address self-care and like look it in the face and like really get to know it in this time because if not like this would eat me alive <laughs> like right like type of, this type of work like would like you know at first i was like justice doesn't sleep and neither will I. Like, it was like one of those where I was like, how do you, actually, I'm not justice. So I gotta, I'm a human, but I have to sleep and I have to have balance in all of this. Like, I also have to like find those things that bring me joy. Cause this like protesting your workplace is like not necessarily filled with joy. <laughs> like, mm, Right. Yeah. You no, know? I, I want to, um, I want to come back to some of that. Because yeah. I think there's some stuff that we I want to definitely unpack. But how's your how are your people doing? How's your family? You're they doing all right too? Or because I know that's like a that's got to be an important part of mm-hmm. like, kind of like a fabric of who you are, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, my um, I'm from Cincinnati, um, and right now I'm living in Portland. So, like the distance away from family has been really tough lately. Um, it's been about a year and a half since I've been home. Like, like just with, I was with my family like every day of the year. But what's wild about COVID is that I feel like my siblings and I have like fostered this like new relationship with each other that has like, you know, really like blossomed during this season. So like they are people that like I'm constantly relying on and talking to and you know, we're growing with each other now, which is wild. I'm like, look at technology go. This is like, this is what, this is what's up. Right. <laughs> so how did you, um, how did you get out into Portland? Like what, what brought you out there? So um, I was in school um, and like, I, I wasn't really in the, program of my choice at first I kind of like fell into UC shout out Bearcats um go Bearcats I know (laughs) you hear the excitement in our voice (laughs) hey you know Um, what we're doing our thing you know right right but um I fell into UC because it was the school I could afford but it was the only school that I um didn't get accepted into like their art program so I ended up going there and being in like the undecided group of kids, even though I kind of knew that I wanted to do something with design. Um, and like did my prereqs for a couple years, like danced around for a couple years, um, you know, but nothing really stuck until I got into the apparel uh, design program. And 
like from there it was like yo this is like where I'm supposed to be at like I didn't even know this was like a job and now like that I know that this is like a role like let me just dive in a hundred percent um so I ended up interning at a couple spaces um and then I ended up getting a design job at Under Armour in Baltimore and that was like bruh I've made it this is the dream mm -hmm. like nothing gets better than this right. <laughs> yeah. um and a lot of you know people were like yo that's crazy like you know and for me it was the first time that like my passion for you know movement had combined with my passion for design so it was like oh wow I could design like this like this is a thing like this is actually a thing mm -hmm. um so that was really fun and I, I felt like a kid in a candy store because it was like everything was new everything was like me absorbing really just taking it all in and while I was there my boss at the time was like yo you should apply for adidas I was like mm, you can't tell me to do that ma'am <laughs> I don't think that's in the corporate rule book <laughs> like but I applied and um, I kind of forgot about it because I was like, that's like, this was the dream. And like Adidas is like, I don't even know where Portland is. I had to like look it up on a map. Yeah, like, it's in a weird spot. I, I've had to do it a couple of times too. It's all the way on the edge of the United States. Like <laughs> yeah. it's like, it's not in the middle. It's like far. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Cincinnati, like looking at it, I was like, oh, that's, that's a lot. Um, so I ended up, uh, applying and then I came back to school and was just kind of like still in the, you know, the thick of it. And I ended up getting an email that was like, yo, we want to interview you for um, a role here. And I was like, what? I was like, this is it. Like, let's go. Like, I can't mess this up. Um, so I got the call and they were like, we want to interview you for both the skate team and also the training team. You'll have your skate interview first and then we'll we'll take it from there. So um, just stop because I'm super, I was super jealous about <laughs> going to the this Adidas skate. I was like, as me, you know, like I'm, I got a background in skateboarding. All the uh -huh. people that you had like a potential to like work with or be around or even design for, like I had pictures of them like hanging up on my wall and stuff yeah. like that. So like <laughs> there's a little uh. bit of envy there when I heard that. <laughs> well, they I mean, they're amazing over there. And like, um, actually, when I got the call for the role, like they were like, yeah, we're going to interview for action sports. And I was like, Google, what <laughs> is action sports? <laughs> like, oh. I was like, I had no idea. I had no idea at all. And I was yeah. like, oh, OK. So it's like skateboarding, snowboarding, surfing. It's like any kind of board sport. Mm -hmm. In my head, I'm thinking like, why they call me? Because like, I don't skate and I don't give off that I do right. um I'm on the call and the interview's like going okay and then like at the end you know they were like oh we gotta cut it off here like we you know if you have any questions like you, you can email us or whatever uh because we got another person we got to interview and I was like oh man I really that's where I shine is the question part but they were like well we have one question for you like you know do you skate at all mm. and like when I tell you my heart dropped <laughs> into my stomach i was like okay god do i lie and like try to learn or do i say no and like risk 
this interview, I was like, what if you like try and because I never touched a skateboard. Mm. I was like, what if you try and you're just terrible, just right. like can't get it, just not your jam. I was like, let's just be honest. And I was like, you know what? Like, I don't skate. I was like, but you know, I am a dancer, right? So I understand the idea of freestyle, which is what skate is, mm. right? Or what I assume it to be, right? They're like, that's a good point. They're like, you don't got to skate to be on our team. Like, there's plenty of people here that don't skate. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> that's amazing. That's actually like a, that's a really good response, though. Like, that's, that was what, like wise to be able to think about that quickly. And I think you're, you're right, though, because like, a lot of skating, like, you have to be, you have to have like cat like reflexes. Like, we talk about mm-hmm. it all the time. It's like, there's like a bounce to it. Like there's, you have to be on your toes at all points. So there are some like through lines to it. So mm-hmm. there's a see. rhythm to skate that like mm-hmm. a lot of people like, I mean, it, it's life or death if you add a rhythm and you skating. Like to be honest, like, you can really hurt yourself. <laughs> like, 100%. And the whole thing with skate that, you know, I realized was that like, it's a really raw sport. The performance of skate, like if you're not like falling, you're not really skating. Mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that's just true. like our coasting like it's not like yeah it's like the whole fun part of it right um so i ended up like leaving that call and feeling like dang i feel like maybe i didn't get that job but maybe i could interview for the other thing if you know mm-hmm. that this one didn't work out so um later that day i get a call and they were like they want to hire you and i was like running around just <laughs> like like oh my god like this is wild yeah um end up going over there loved it it was like you know I, again kid in a candy store i was like everything here is new i'm on the west coast like I, this is just what i'm trying to do like mm-hmm. this over here is where it's at did i like portland necessarily we can get into that later but <laughs> you know where i was working was fresh, new, and I was learning so much, right? Because I'd never really been in, like, a big, big company like Adidas before. Under Armour was big, but, like, Adidas was, like, number two. Global global to the max. Right. So it was still really new. And I developed, had a really great mentor while I was there, and he, like, kind of took me under his wing and was like, yo, like, you know, if you want to come back here, like, what team would you want to be on? He's like, because I recognize it's not skate. Like, mm-hmm. and so I told him, I was like, yo, I really want to be on the originals team. Like that would just be like, like creme de la creme, just amazing. So I feel like I sit more in that aesthetic than I do a skate aesthetic. He was like, all right, cool. So long story short, I went back to school and like, I'm getting all these interviews for unpaid jobs and like, I'm having to decline them because I can't afford it. Mm-hmm sitting in the space where I'm like dang I really want to participate in fashion but like I don't have capital to do it so I like have to like think about what I'm gonna do to like get this job credit in order to graduate so um I'm just in class and I get an email and it's like Adidas sends their interns these automatic emails and it's like you know auto-filled like congratulations blankety blank Mm -hmm. you got blankety blank and you're gonna pay you this blankety blank and (laughs) like 
Um, so I ended up getting one of those emails again. Mm-hmm. And I was like really confused because it was a different team and a different date. And I was like, I, I didn't apply for this job. Like, and I was just assumed that like I was just on some email list and they accidentally forgot to take me off. And I just was like, this isn't really real, I don't think. Mm-hmm. So I called my um, boss on my last internship on skate. And I was like, Hey, what's up? I was like, I got a question for you. I was like, I just got this weird email from Adidas saying that I'm an originals intern now and that my start date's in January. I thought they don't do winter internships. Also, I'm getting paid again. Like what's going on? And he, all he said, he was like, congratulations. Welcome back. (laughs) Nice. And I was like, bruh, like Mm. this is where like this idea of favor comes into play because it was a job I did not apply for, a job that like I desperately wanted, right? Didn't do like, you know, what was like considered I was supposed to do to get the job, right? It was out of my control, out of my timing and out of my, you know, scope of what I could do with my hands. Um, and so I literally just remember like crying in the bathroom, like, God, you're so good. Like, <laughs> I don't really do much deserve that one but like wow so obviously i was supposed to go back over there right and i don't want to i don't want to jump too far but Mm -hmm. man like when you talk about there being a plan designed for you like Mm -hmm. the moment that that you're in now was already predestined when you were like at the when you were an intern and you had no idea what kind of moves and what kind of impact you were going to make like that, that plan had been predestined. Mm-hmm. All you had to do was just keep moving. And it's, so oh, man. The, that's, it's tough, right? Because you don't always see, you never see the big blueprint, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's scripture that talks about, you know, nobody knows what God's planning, right? Like, it's like everything is connected and everything has purpose, right? So, you know, I was supposed to go and work that first internship as a stylist so that I would have desire to apply for design jobs. I was supposed to go to Under Armour so that I would have a boss that would encourage me to dream higher and go to Adidas. I was supposed to go to Adidas and the skate team to develop that hunger to want to be on the originals team and find favor with my boss and, you know, that team as they saw my work as a skate intern. By the way, didn't know nothing about skate, right? Right. And then, you know, to to get over there and be on the team that, like, you know, I desire, right? This goes back to that scripture that talks about, like, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Because, like, I couldn't even tell you that job existed, right? I couldn't even verbalize what that job was. But it was a desire that was deep inside. So I ended up, you know, getting that internship. And it was one of the most, like, creative moments of my life, I would say. And it was one of the most challenging moments of my life because I got questioned a lot about like, you know, what do you want? Like, why are you here? Is this something you want to do? Do you want to learn XYZ skills? Like, like I got questioned a lot by my team and I was also working and I didn't realize this at the time how much of an anomaly this was, but I was working with an extremely diverse team with a director of color, right? Mm. And like, 
in this like industry of sportswear, streetwear, whatever you want to call it, like that is such an anomaly in the space that we operate in. And like, it's not normal. And right. Like for me, I treated it as if it was because I didn't know or, or I didn't really look at my industry as an intern and go, Oh, this one's a little different. Mm -hmm. Right. But I think I took that space for granted. Right. And like, I, I remember being in meetings where like we would have like, people from like all over the world and different experiences, different colors, sexual orientations and, and walks of life, like all in the same room. And I think our product was better for it because we had so much um, input and much, a much more 360 view of what it was we were trying to do. So, you know, I ended up leaving that internship with a lot of tools that were like truly like, I couldn't, I could not replace that experience and I was getting paid to do it. So right. you can get to that because yeah. unpaid internships, no bueno. Like mm, the no number bueno. that I went through, man. The thing is like a lot of, uh, I mean, like, you know, our friend Draven, shout out Draven. Um, shout out Draven. Like, she, she's doing research right now on unpaid internships and like what that looks like. But like in my experience, like, it's like basic economics. Like when you value yourself at $0, like $0, that's what you value your work and your time and your effort. When you value it there, like it's very difficult to rise up from $0. So like, you know, they try to woo you over by saying like, oh, you need experience. So in exchange for $0, we will give you experience. But unfortunately, like that experience doesn't always equate to that's a lot of hoopla because then a lot of times, too, is. like, you know, they want like a lot of times when you go in an unpaid experience like that and you do something for the experience, they better help you get something next. Like they better help you get to the next level. But a lot of times people just get free labor and they ship you off and they say, hey, you see mm -hmm. it. Good luck with mm -hmm. your life. And I'm like, dude, I just fun. spent like, like four months of my life. Mm -hmm. with no money i could have been working at starbucks up the street getting some health care and a little bit of money so you know mm -hmm. i don't so, yeah yeah i don't know why they teach kids to do that so it's early. because we have this culture of like equating um like your passion for something for how like um you know how much overtime you put in essentially so like if you're not staying up till 4 a.m if you uh, not staying late and like waking up early, if you're not, you know, if your hustle ain't visible so much so that like you negate your worth, right? Then you don't want it, right? And mm -hmm. we, we reward that, right? We reward not being balanced, right? But the book I abide by says that I'm supposed to rest once a week. Yeah, you telling it like it is. And to be out of balance means to be out of order. So like, Finding balance, like, is key. So, like, when people say, like, you know, oh, I never sleep for my my passion. Like, I'm I'm always on for it. I'm like, I'm not actually, and that doesn't make me any less passionate. Mm. And I think like our industry is really bad, and a lot of industries too are really bad about like, you know, rewarding bad behavior that is not sustainable, right? Like, it's not sustainable to stay up every night at 4 a.m. and then go to work at 8 a.m. Like. 
Nah, that's it's... not you will die like you will actually you will die <laughs> yeah. yeah in the most extreme cases but and if you're not dying then you are either burnt out you are incredibly unhappy and you may have some you know you may need some mental and spiritual uh assistance like mm -hmm. the, and a lot of it you know i hate to like i hate to use this but we always like I, this is one of the things you can like blame on capitalism like is as where people Let's like <laughs> people talk about you know <laughs> like the people like mess around and joke around about it but like for real it's because we created this culture where like we got it we got to get to that dollar and if you don't mm -hmm. have that dollar then you're not winning in this world and right. even um you remember that uh thing did you see that video of steve harvey what he was talking about when he said uh if you're in the west coast and you sleep in you're like you're late to the game or something i don't know but he said oh yeah I remember. he was, he was talking about like, like three hours behind you're already three hours there. behind people in the east coast i'm yeah. like bro chill like people need to <laughs> sleep you don't like i don't know i gotta pull the reel i gotta find it so here's the actual clip we were referring to just so y'all have a frame of reference let me know what y'all think about this one rich people don't sleep eight hours a day that's a third of your life. It ain't but 24 hours in a day. You cannot be sleep eight hours a day. You can't live in L.A. and wake up at 8 o'clock in the morning. It's 11 o'clock on the East Coast. The stock market been open two hours. They already making decisions about your life, and your ass will sleep. It's, it's good, though. I, I I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I yeah. I'm just like, bro, like You're already late, so, like, why are you sleeping in? Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> yo, people, like, it's, it's a whole thing, but... This is yeah. not a capitalism podcast, but we could go down that hole. <laughs> we, we could touch on it. We touched it. <laughs> we'll leave right. that there for food yeah. for thought. Now, all that being said, I really wanted to, I made a you know promise to myself. I was like, if I'm going to go back to Portland, you know, the city that's like predominantly white, very difficult to navigate as a woman of color, I'm at least going to want to be on a team that looks like that. Um, so I left, went back to school and started research for you know this project called otherly shout out to otherly <laughs> shout out <laughs> um you know that project really sparked my desire to talk about race and color in a way that what uh, have a conversation about color that's not being had right and to have this unveiling and to and to use physical color as a means to speak to social color and constructs that we have around centered around it right what does that mean we can get into it what does that that mean when, when you're talking about social constructs of color sure so color was was and race i'm specifically speaking towards when i say color race was created to um other the planet right um in relation to whiteness so race was created by a white man um to describe what it was that he was seeing, right? Um, which is wild because he never left his basement. He just basically created this um, system to describe traveler's logs that he was reading, right? Mm. So, you know, the planet was othered by somebody who never even set eyes on who these people were, right? Which is wild if you really think about it. So... You know, we get black, white, red, yellow. Like if you look at like those colors, like the way he described them, like those are the social constructs that I'm talking to, right? Mm -hmm. Which is systemic color, 
right? And the hierarchy that's created within that. Um, whiteness being the thing to aspire to and blackness being the thing to not, not want, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, you know, doing a lot of research into that, you know, for my thesis, I was really just enthralled with like what it was that I was looking at because at first I wasn't really able to articulate that I was trying to talk about race because I didn't want to make the project too personal. And, you know, I really wanted it to be like, oh, Julia's just going to talk about physical color, like pigment, like she's going to talk about reds and yellows and blues. And maybe she'll touch on black. Maybe she'll touch on white. Like mm-hmm. we're just going to like bring to light the, the fun history that is color, which it is fun. Right. Right. Also scary <laughs> if you really get into like certain colors, right, like blue and indigo and what that means for people who have to poison themselves to make that color exist right so like we could go deep in like that right but I knew that I really wanted to touch on it but I was very nervous too because you know I want not no expert in color right so I would have to really educate myself and also like the type of art that I wanted to put out like you know I really had to handle it with some care because it's a touchy topic right Mm mm-hmm um, and, you know, I had a professor in school who, you know, I approached her and I was like, I'm really nervous because she was, um, she was my mentor during that time. And she was like, you know, I expressed to her, I was like, I'm a little nervous to do a, a black project because I only have white professors that are going to be speaking to it. And I don't feel like they are going to be able to like, give me, you know, feedback. Because in the past, when I've done projects that are quote unquote black, like, you know, it's always like, you know, Emma, for example, in class, some white girl would get like, and that's not somebody who was in my class. I'm just saying like, sure, sure, sure. Giving her a name. Mm-hmm. Like Emma would get like all kinds of feedback about her collection, about, you know, like the cats or whatever. Like she would get all kinds of feedback. She would get told like, you know, you need to change this scene here, do this there and all these other things. And when I would present, it'd be like, wow, this is great keep going. Mm, mm-hmm. And you're like, bro, like I deserve the same amount of, I pay a lot of money to be here. Yeah, to exactly. Get, I need this feedback too. Right. And you know, she hit me with a dose of reality. Cause I was like, you know, I'm going to need them to really show up. And she was like, they don't have the tools to speak to what you're doing. Mm. I was like, what? Why am I paying all this money? <laughs> Yo. And she was like, you know, like you like, gotta understand that like the space that you're about to walk into like you're gonna have to find those people because they're not here Mm. and that was really disheartening I was really mad I remember leaving like how dare she say that like I paid too much money for me to be sitting up in here not getting what I paid for okay Mm -hmm. like and I had to realize like that you know this was about to be a project that I would have to you know understand that they can't speak to it so I come back and like, you know, of course we're having critiques about it, you know, and, and other ladies like living as a apparel collection, right? Like for the first, it's really more like a using clothing as a vehicle to, to tell this color story, right? So, you know, I remember being in critiques where they'd be like, you know, love the concept, great idea, 
you know, um, you know, we hear you saying that you want to talk about the vastness of blackness and like how there's, you know, colorism within that. And like, you really want to like speak to that space, but you know, don't limit yourself. Why don't you like, um, look at all races and, you know, this could even expand into gender, right? Like sometimes Yo. female, other, okay. You know, and also like religion, you could talk about re like religion being othered mm. as well. And if I was like, if that ain't the most all lives matter thing I've ever Bruh! heard. <laughs> <laughs> I was what? like, I can't, I can't, I can't do it all. Like also like, I can't speak to those, all those things, you know, and a lot of times like in, projects about blackness like you know white people and professors and classmates as well-intentioned as they are they try to dilute the message so that it's something that they can relate to and it you know it nullifies your your and muddies your message and makes it a lot less clear mm -hmm. so like if i did all lives matter it'd be like all right well yeah like no point of view. It's one of those things where, like, you, you, if you're going to cover that many topics, you can only be so specific about it. Like, everything is going to be like crazy general. Like, you're not going to have as much of a personal investment in it. The work's not going to be as good, mainly yeah. because you're not an expert in all that, because you're not, you're not living it. And so, this is like, yeah. It's it became it'd be and it's funny because I remember sharing it with you and I was like, you know, I don't want to make this about me and like all this stuff and it like ended up having to be I had to put some skin in the game for the project to make sense, right? Like I had to really sit with it and be like, why do you care so much about this? Right. Like and bring your experience into it, right? Because like for me, I'm a I'm a light light skinned black female right mm -hmm. like you know and the way i walk through the world you know is very different than the way like a dark-skinned black woman would walk through the world and like i wanted to speak to that spectrum and that vastness that comes with the label black right it is such like a stupid way to describe like the you know the plethora of experiences that blackness is, right? Mm -hmm. Every black experience is a black experience. And so like, you know, when we deem things as like, oh, that's black, it's like, well, what part? Cause like, it's a big group. Blackness is the only like, you know, African-American is the only like, you know, group of people like, you know, if you're going to compare it to whiteness and like, if you want to compare it to like the Hispanic cultures and things like that, we have skin to now like tones from like, all, like ranging, like from super light to super dark. Right. Mm -hmm. Like how do you label a group of people that have that much diversity within themselves? Right. right. And how are we not speaking to like, you know, the things happening within that space, like colorism and the hierarchy within blackness. Right. There's even one there, right? I, yeah, I think that it was essential, like, it was essential for you to kind of put skin in the game because, again, like I was talking about, like, we only speak in general terms um, when it comes to conversations about race. And so we only show and we only discuss one tone of black and we, we, we just layer everything over it. 
And so there's when we just have that one that one note or that one introductory, we don't give ourselves the opportunity to really investigate and learn and understand more about us as people because we're all just kind of like we're different. Like like you just said, you and I look very different. We're part of the same um, uh, race, quote unquote. But but even within that, there are so many different intricacies, and I think the you know that lack of like that generalization creates like it almost excuses people from wanting to or for even being able to ask more being able to learn more about the other person and so again we become a thing less than we are a people right and with that and again like with without that deep investigation there's a lack of perspective and understanding of of who we are and what makes us and when you don't have perspective like it's you don't know what you don't know and so if mm-hmm. you don't know certain things, if you only know one thing, you're going to go through the entire lens of your entire experience of blackness just looking at that one that one instance and that one individual. So I think it's in like it was almost required for you to put a little bit of skin in the game um just to show that we are more than than mm-hmm. just one thing or more than what you see in the news or TV or whatever. And to be honest, like, I took a lot of inspiration from your initiative on on, on some of my work too, because like we're live we're all living in this this kind of life, this life together. And imagine that you have um, now. Let me go quarter because quarter is a better example. So quarter, they got the different, um, you know, how they got the different state, uh, different states, mm-hmm. and the different designs in the back. Imagine mm-hmm. if you had that quarter for your entire life. You never flipped it over to investigate. You only saw. George Washington, and that was like, <laughs> that was your hero. You're like, this is my guy. Quarter, quarters are so amazing. Did you know there's George Washington? I know everything about this quarter. But then, yeah. like, you never get a, give yourself an opportunity to flip it over and see mm-hmm. that, like, whoa, South Carolina's got, you know, water and pelicans or whatever over there. Or maybe that's New Orleans. But, um, and you, you recognize that each quarter is a little bit different than the other one, but they still, mm-hmm. like, have the same value. And they all are the same quarter. Exactly. Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And so I That's think. That's a good analogy. Yeah. So I think that we need to give our, like, that we have to give people that other side of the quarter. And it's going to take a little bit of work from us. It's mm-hmm. it's going to be a little bit challenging. But I think in order to, to really create this welcoming in this equitable environment, we kind of have to do some of that hard work. And I think mm-hmm. that's what you were you were starting to do. I can understand how you were reluctant, but you started mm-hmm. to do it. And I think it was It's you know. difficult, right? Because like in in educating in that way and like revealing those nuances, it almost dismantles the labels we use to describe it. Mm. Because it is a direct like exception. Everything about blackness is an exception to the right. system. Right? right. Like I'm an exception, right? Because like if you're just looking at me like and the way I walk through the world, my skin tone doesn't create a barrier for me, right? Which is associated with blackness, right? Mm-hmm. So like if you're gonna get deep, Julia Bond has a level of white privilege when she walks into a space because I'm comfortable for whiteness and I have quote unquote achieved it skin tone wise, right? Mm-hmm. And like that you know, allows me to be in rooms. It allows people to like say things, you know, it, 
it's it's one of those things where, you know, we don't really talk about what that looks like to be black with some white privilege, right? That is a nuance which creates an anomaly which completely erupts the whole idea of what it means to be black. Right. <laughs> like, but then, like, if you're going to go, like, even another level deeper, it's like, you know, yes, Julia has that, but, like, you know, she also has, you know, really thick hair, right? Which is a tell, right? Mm-hmm. Which, you know, a lot of people... Can't hide that one. Can't hide that one. <laughs> can't get away from that, right? I yeah. could try, right, with, you know, all the methods in my dispo- at my disposal, but, you know, um, you know, there are, you know, spaces that I come from that are Black, right? There are, you know things that I use to adorn myself that are deemed black, right? Like, you know, there are other tells, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm still a participant in my community, right? And like something that I've been like really reflecting on and like, you know, addressing with myself and I've been working on personally is to address like this idea of, um, you know, me trying to win over my community, Right. Because it's awkward for me because I don't necessarily fit in like in the black crowd because I like sci fi. I like love, you know, um, nerdy movies like Yo, I love you like sci fi. Like, yes. Yo, what's <laughs> like what's this? What you into? What's, what's going on? <laughs> um, anything Star Trek, like ultimate Star nerd. Trek. Yikes. Yes. Okay. So, like, we could go. We go into it. Into <laughs> it because another podcast. But right, right, right. <laughs> you know, I could go into like all the nuance of things. You know that that I love, right? That aren't necessarily what people associate with blackness, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like, I found myself like really reflecting on how like I've tried to like win over both communities, where it's like. Hey, white people, like, let me in these doors. But also, hey, black people, like, I really am part of this community. Like, Mm. how do you, like, talk about what that looks like? Like, that intersection of things is really quite difficult because I'm not white and I'll never achieve those rooms. But I am black, right? And, like, I've been, I feel like, you know, a lot of my life has been trying to, like, authenticate my blackness somehow. Mm -hmm. Like, it it shows up in all kinds of ways, yeah. right? I wonder, um, have you ever, was there ever a point where, like, when did you know that you had that sort of, like, quote, unquote, privilege? And did you ever, like, use it to your advantage purposefully? Um, so I grew up in an all-black Christian school, like, from kindergarten to, like, fourth grade. So... Like, it's funny because if you look at school pictures of me, like, you can find me. And I had the nerve to wear, like, a red sweater. We wore uniforms, right? <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> I'm popping. Right. <laughs> but nobody would, you know, when I was in that space, nobody, like, made me feel anything less than Black, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, like, they would be quick to roast me on, like, my shoe choice versus my skin color, Right. And that just speaks to blackness where we'd be like, we get real creative with our caps because 
don't make no sense to cap on somebody's skin tone, but I will. You made the choice to pick them shoes, right? <laughs> and that was your decision, right? right? So there's an added level of you know that communication. But like you know, in that space, I never felt like othered. It was like I was just a kid going to school, and these were my friends, and it is what it is. Um, I had then made the transition to public school. Um, where I could wear my after school clothes all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I went from an all black school to a majority white school where I was like one of few black kids in the room. And this was like the first time I was getting like skin tested where like white guys would come up to me and be like, you're not black. See, look, I'm darker than you. You're white. Mm. And I'd be like, what? <laughs> it was the first time like, you know, I wore Bantu knots as a kid a lot. And, you know, it was a, perfect hairstyle for my mom to just quickly do and Easy. like let it be be done and um it was the first time like they were called doo-doo knots on my head whoa okay. and i was like wait a minute this is like my crown like i would feel great when i wear these and like i allowed the space my environment that i was in you know dictate how i felt about my hair right so i started to like unfurl them when I went to school and try to like halfway put them back when before I got home so my mom wouldn't be mad and she'd be like what did you do to all my hard work like right don't don't mess with your hair don't let people play in your hair and I would like face that anxiety of like dang like I don't want to be called doo-doo ball girl right, right. like <laughs> that's not that's, like, yeah that's and, how old, and how old is that I'm in like fifth and sixth grade at this dang. point so it's like you still little, right? Yeah. Like you don't know much, but you still are forming your identity, right? You're experimenting, you're your kid, like your kid, right? So, you know, I took a, a lot of things to heart when they were told to me. And like, you know, I think, you know, being in that all black school really showed me about my community where it's like, you know, for centuries, we've had to be open arms to people that don't look like us. And we've had to really like sit in and welcome people that look other than us, right? Mm-hmm. Just by, you know, we can go back like slavery. Like you probably would have a sister. We could be like siblings, you know what I mean? Like right. you being a darker skinned black man, me being a lighter skinned black woman, we could be have the same mama. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. You know what I'm saying? And like we would be family, right? So obviously we'd be treated a lot differently, but you know it would be one of those things where it's like, how do you describe that? Right. And I don't think we've still as a society articulated that nuance. Um, and so, you know, growing up in the skin, right. Like there would be instances where like part of me kind of resented, you know, my mom for doing this, but then I also like understood why it was happening. Like, you know, we have a back home called Plato's closet it's, you know, the place where you sell your clothes, mm-hmm. X, Y, Z, whatever. When you're done with them, try to make a buck off some trash you had in your closet. So, right. um, you know, my mom, she'd be like, Julie, I need you to, t- we, we would go like to the con- the white Plato's closet where they had better clothes, better whatever. And we would walk in there and she'd be like, I need you to drop these off at the counter because they'll buy more from you. They won't buy, you know, very much from me. And, like, I would always be like, man, I don't really want to do this. Yeah. Like, this is, like, 
I wasn't even weaponizing my privilege. Like, you know, my family recognized that I had it and they were like, let's make some more money together. Right. And I was like, yes. And I would do it every time, but like, it made me feel really awkward. Right. And like, you know, part of me like is really trying to reckon with that kind of dynamic and what the skin affords me and dealing with the guilt that comes from being afforded things, right? Like me being able to like talk the way I do, like where I come from, like all this stuff, like to be in rooms with white people and to like speak my mind, right? To have it not be received as like, you know, hostile or, you know, other things due to like the comfortability that they have with what my skin looks like. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like that's crazy, but it's real life. Right. Like, and it's something that I don't think like we really talk about like light skin privilege. Yeah. I mean, even like, I think I shared this not too long ago, but I mean, that's, that's something that we see mainstream too. all of our ads, all of our, <laughs> television shows like when you do or you know bring some people of color into your shows or into your magazine covers they're always the lightest skinned people all always and they even have like you know different toners and things that mm-hmm. brightens them up i never understood that i mean why well, you understand like why it's happening but you know for for me like always grew up like my you know my mom and my my dad they always told me like they always said like black is beautiful almost mm-hmm. every day they would you know <laughs> I used to hate it but like they used to tell me <laughs> they they used to come to me in my room and be like hey so what are you and I would be like oh I'm black and I'm brown but they would always <laughs> like always make me say it and I'm just like and so like when you get those types of messages and you see like there's a black person here that's cool like why are they always picking like Halle Berry for stuff? Like, you know, like she obviously is a good representation for the community, but you Mm -hmm. know, she's the lightest one out here. Like she doesn't show the Like, Let's look at storm in the comic books. And now, Oh, right. Yeah, exactly. Dang. There you go. That's that sci-fi coming out. (laughs) Okay. My nerd's coming out a little bit. Like for real though, like storm was a dark skinned character. Right. Like, right. Like Mm -hmm. she was a dark skinned woman. It's there, right? And I think, like, you know, it's hard, right? Because there's this, like, it's white supremacy, like, at every step, right? So, you know, this idea of being able to have proximity to whiteness, like, light-skinned Black people have proximity to whiteness. So they're the ones that get rewarded in our system of white supremacy, right? So, you know, there's still challenges, you know, let's not negate that but there are privileges as well. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting too, because, um, you know, what's wild is that like, if you look at whiteness and like the idea that is white, like that color, um, this speaks to like a different kind of like racism that like I, even I'm still trying to articulate like white people, like, you know, like the gatekeepers of whiteness, like, you know, certain groups of people had to like make a case for why they were white, right? Like Italians, you know, Jewish people had to make a case 
that says like, we are this, right? Like let us in, right? Mm -hmm. And white people literally like, you know, from the very beginning when this color was being created, like they even like hated themselves. <laughs> like, right. like people that like think about Nazis, right? Like people that look like you, like there's a deeper hatred even in there, right? For your own kind, right? So it's wild because, you know, a lot of people like try to get and achieve whiteness. But it's like, you know, even white people had to like achieve whiteness right. in a sense. So like, it's almost like an impossible thing because race is made up and it doesn't exist, but it has repercussions and it is real, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's this made up thing that we all achieve and aspire to, which speaks to this whole idea of like, race was the, probably the most like powerful thing that was ever designed. And I'm going to stand by that yeah. because it created a desire in people that like was so unachievable that people still fight to get to it. Like centuries later, right? Like, right. Yeah. Like it's just so wild to me. So that's why like, you know, otherly was such a project that like I had to like, like I had to do because it was like, nobody's talking about this. Right. Do you think that, because you you talked about something interesting when you're saying that we're we're all trying to achieve like this level of like perfection or this this level of whiteness? Do you see that shifting at all? Like, what do you think about like the the shift in kind of like the culture of like what we're kind of glorifying now, um, as far as um, in terms of like body shape and like you know how people are trying to get you know their getting these these tans and listening to certain types of things wearing certain types of clothing like do yeah. you feel that shifting at all or do you feel like how, wait what are your what's your take i think i mean i guess i'm technically considered millennial but all my siblings are younger than me so i lean more towards gen z, gen z. level things yeah. um it's so interesting to watch this generation because and to participate in it to be honest because um you know, this group, like, think about, like, what they've grown up in and what's normal for them. Like, they grew up, like, with Obama being their president, right? Mm -hmm. That was just, you know, what they know, right? right? Black president, right? They grew up, you know, with, <clears throat> you know, both, like, extremes of presidents, too, right? Now we have the orange guy in office. Like, mm -hmm. you know, they see that as well. They've seen protests. They've seen like black people be killed in the street. They've seen like white supremacists like marching in, you know, all this stuff. Like they, they've seen a lot of extremes, right? So I think like they're an interesting group because like to navigate the middle, like I don't think they have tools to do so, right? So it's like pick a side, mm. right? So I think we're entering a space that's quite interesting because like, I, I feel like Gen Z is starting to figure out like what the middle looks like. Like, I think that's what's next for them because, you know, they've grown up in a very instant world where like change happens and I can get my food in 10 minutes <laughs> like, yeah. or like, you know, I Google information and I have it at my fingertips. Mom educated, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, everything for them has been instant. But if you look at, you know, movements that happened before us, like civil rights era and things like that, like, change was very slow like and they had the endurance to maintain focus and energy in 
these spaces. So like the challenge for Gen Z is to be like more realistic too, right? Like, and that's yeah. not to negate the fact that like we can have radical changes and we can have them now, right? Tomorrow, America could be no more. We can make a whole new country mm-hmm. if we wanted to, right? Like, right. you know, but I think like where Gen Z is sitting right now is in a very, um, a space that is like, trying to get to like that middle and navigate how we we bridge right i think like right now like it's like you know justice and justice tomorrow yeah it's like yes and amen um (laughs) but you know we gotta also look at you know what it means to have justice tomorrow yeah right the Mm -hmm. work that gets put into that right i think there's a a big like um open arms acceptance from Gen Z that like, you know, they, they have eyes on so many different kinds of people because of social media and access to visuals from different spaces that like everything is normal. Like it's normal to see like, you know, you know, someone who's larger than you It's normal to see someone from the opposite sex. You know, it's normal to see a non-gender conforming person. Like, these are normal things, right, for them because they have visual to associate with it. Yeah, they're kind of like breaking, like breaking all the rules, all the rules that we've established. They're like, "What rules? What are you talking about? This is just how we operate. This is the world. We're mm-hmm. all like, we're all good. Like, like, mm-hmm. what is everybody tripping over?" Gen Z's like biggest question is why. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. why is that there? Why? And like, the older generation hates that question because they're the ones that made the rules. Exactly. Right? Like, so like to be questioned on like what you created, like you have to answer why, right? Because like that generation is gonna live in your your space you set up or they're gonna tear it down and build a new one. Because they'll figure out how to do it. They probably already know. <laughs> <laughs> they probably already know. Right? There's so many so, kids now like who are just on TikTok, you know, nine years old making so much Dang. more money than I'll ever will. <laughs> and they figured it out. <laughs> it's like, okay, do your thing. Don't shut it down because TikTok has proven to be like such an interesting little space for information for me too. Because like I've jumped on it and like I've gotten like black history that I didn't know. From right? uh, uh, what's her name? Taylor, uh, you know, Taylor oh, Cassidy? Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She's legit. I'm like, so <laughs> That's the thing. Like how, how did you find this this much time to like educate yourself but also help educate me in such a creative and unique way in like no time at all oh my god it's it's ridiculous i am what's wild about it is that like i think in adding my lived experience to this space it made it a lot more it made me want to learn more about it so like this is something that like i'm really passionate about so like I'm constantly digesting like new things about this space. And so like, I have to like look at our heroes, right? I have to read up on like, you know, black authors that have spoken about this thing. Like Toni Morrison, I just ordered her book that's you know called The Origin of Others, mm. right? Like I gotta read these things to like understand the space that I wanna speak to. So, you know, I think a lot of times people, and this is where I resent a little bit of like some of the language around 
um, that white people have right now where they're like, you know, I'm educating myself, I'm learning. And then like it stops there and I'm like, but, like what are you doing with mm-hmm. that knowledge, right? Because like for me, like I think it's okay to like fail publicly. Like I failed publicly before, right? Like this whole otherly project has been like a failing of a failing upward. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's like, oh well, I had these preconceived notions about like, you know, what blackness was supposed to look like, you know, and I realize it's not that. You know, I also like had preconceived notions as to like you know the idea of you know black lives matter right because like i had to address like for me like and combine it with like my religious beliefs right and my faith like if black lives really matter like why are you not equally as outraged about like brianna taylor as you are about the trans woman that died Mm. like why why do you have a hierarchy of black lives too so black lives really don't matter to you, Julia, then. And you haven't really, you know, developed a heart for that injustice, mm. right? Like, I had to really check myself. Like, and I had to, like, really address the fact that, like, I was not showing up for that that group, right? Yeah. You know, so, you know, whether I agree with it or not, right? And I think, like, people think you got to, like, sit in the, um, you know, kumbaya, like, you know, oh, we're all friends and we all understand every nuance about everything and everybody. It's like, no, there's no, like, you know, like space of knowledge that you will achieve, yeah. right? And I think white people are, are not moving in the space of, like, what racial equality looks like because they're, like, sitting in the fact and, like, the covering of, well, I'm educating myself. I'm learning so that I can then do the work. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, do the work as you learn, yeah. right? Like, you know, fail publicly and win publicly too. Like they're real quick to like be like, yo, I donated this much money to X, Y, Z thing. But then they won't talk about how like, you know, they let their grandmother say the N word at Thanksgiving last <laughs> week, right? Like yeah. they won't like, you yeah. know, you gotta really talk about these things and like educate yourself as you do the work yeah it's one of those things that as i've been observing like i think for our our white allies which what i've been observing is that they're kind of looking for um like a quick solution you were talking about that earlier where this isn't an issue that changes with like a donation or like with reading a book or like resharing or posting something you can't you can't do that and then wipe your hands clean that again mm-hmm. shows another sign of privilege. And I think that that's part of the mentality of privilege too, is always coming out on top in some in some way or respect and not necessarily failing, especially in like the mm-hmm. social sphere. And so this mm-hmm. is new territory, I think, for a lot of um, a lot of white people because they're gonna have to take some L's and a lot of them. But, yeah. you know, there's something that we've been doing for a long time. Humility. Yeah, yep. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's a big word that and I don't think a lot of people have that because they like you have to appear like you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we don't give any we don't we don't give anyone grace like we don't give anyone an opportunity. Like if we for some reason we are so judgmental right now, if people mess up or they say the wrong thing, we're always pointing fingers like we are so quick to judge. We don't give anyone the opportunity to learn and grow. So I can, you know, from the other side, I can also see like, you know what? I'd be a little bit nervous to, to say anything at this moment. At least I'm reading. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 
see that. You know, like, I think in regards to like, I think what we're touching on now is cancel culture. Like, I think in regards to that, like, you know, I am 100% on board with canceling racism. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, like should let's, be canceled. Let's get it out of here. Absolutely has no space <laughs> in my area. Like mm-hmm. canceled. <laughs> yeah, I think like people mistake like you know canceling an idea, a system, a behavior with canceling a person, mm. right? Like just because I critique you and cancel out and call out your behavior and your you know participation in said system or whatever right does not mean that you yourself are canceled and i think people make everything about this work so personal mm-hmm. right that it becomes like oh, well because julia told me like i can't say the n-word she's telling me that i can't be me <laughs> <laughs> right like <laughs> no you like know. that's not what she said she just said stop saying the n-word around her mm-hmm. and stop saying it period yeah if you're you know what i mean we've done it before you can change language that's easy we you know we got a lot of people you know some people still say it but i choose not to but people don't say the r word as much anymore people don't say the f word like Mm -hmm. we trained ourselves to do it like it's Mm -hmm. it takes a little bit of work and a little bit of catching yourself but it's and that's only one thing that's like you know one instance of all these other aspects of racism. But that's the thing where, like, you know, because I think because white people sit in the space of, like, you're attacking me, right? Like, they don't really um, look at it as a system and, like, back up and, like, kind of have visual on the picture at hand, right? Mm. You know, and I think that's where cancel culture exists. Like, you know, sometimes people, like, you know, equate, like, accountability with, like, an attack, you know, like, just because I I say, hey, yo, this is racist, and I expose it, right? Like, that does not mean that, like, I am, like, canceling everything you are about. I canceled this thing that happened, or, you know, this, this yeah. right? So, you know, a part of me is, like, yes to cancel cancel culture, but not when it becomes, like, you know... this person like is like dead to the world right right unless (laughs) you consistently every single time just keep on keeping on keeping on keeping on keeping on keeping on right and like i don't see you doing the work i don't see you doing xyz like you know at what point do i have to then have a boundary with like who you are right now that don't mean I'm gonna keep calling you out. At some point, I'm just gonna be like, "It's over." It's we over. don't really connect, mm-hmm. right? So you know, I think like, and I'm gonna critique church now. Sorry, church folk. <laughs> I'm also one of them, but I think you know where it's become really difficult. You know, for me to like just like tune into church right now is that um, a lot of the messaging from like white pastors has been like cancel culture is not kingdom culture and you know like you know uh you know forgiveness there's a lot of messages that are being um used to weaponize against like uncomfortable feelings 
And, you know, I think like, unfortunately, sometimes like the messages that come from white pastors, like embolden white people to expect black people to forgive, expect them to like, let me, let me back up, expect them to do work that like they don't necessarily have to do. Right. Like, it's like, well, I keep messing up and I keep messing up and you have to forgive me. Mm. Like, yes, I will. Like, you know, based on my beliefs, I will do that. Right. Because it says that, you know, what I do down here with you is what I'm going to get from up there. So of course I want, you know, if I want grace, like I'm going to have to extend it. Right. And if I want forgiveness, I'm going to have, I'm only going to be forgiven as much as I forgive you. Right. You know, but unfortunately I think that a lot of white pastors right now are weaponizing messages of forgiveness, unity, kingdom, and like, you know, not canceling to, you know, make up for, you know, this uncomfortable feeling that white people are having right now. Mm -hmm. And like, it's been really difficult for me, like to just hop on board with it. Yeah. I think something um, that I've been noticing uh, with within the church for this moment is that it's it actually reminds me a lot of what you described earlier when you were talking about presenting your project otherly to a lot of the professors and you know when they come to you and and they would say essentially kind of blanket the the message um, mm-hmm. and say like yeah this is great thank you for bringing this up, but there's these other instances here too. I feel a lot of that from um, my experience with our, uh, with our church at the moment. Like nothing is really, you know, there was seldom anything addressed like about mm-hmm. specifics about what's going on and, and talking about what our place is as Christians or as a, as a church community, how we, um, how we can minister to this moment Mm-hmm. Um, there's, you know, the, the biggest action that took place was like, you know, they brought in like, cause we have a white pastor as well, but they brought in like a, a black pastor to have like a conversation online. Every and then, church. And then I'll, <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, and then outside of that, it's like, okay, well, we are all in this together. I'm like, wait yeah. a second. Like, Nah, this like this whole thing engagement here for a minute. Yeah, like, let's let's actually spend some time talking about this. Like, what is you know like what does it mean to fight for justice? Like, but from a biblical perspective, because mm-hmm. Jesus was was out here doing his thing. He was mm-hmm. radical. Like you know we he didn't just stay in his church and just keep things moving. You know like he was out here doing doing these things. And so I think that you know. I I expect more from the church to be more leaders in these conversations and really get get to the root of the issues here because a lot of it does is remedied from like a biblical uh, standpoint and so I think mm-hmm. that we're just but again this is like it's hard work to do especially if you're like a bigger yeah. church and you have a following that. Mm-hmm. You know, if you say something a little bit radical or something, you could potentially lose a lot of members of the church. But that's yeah. mainly their issue, not necessarily mm-hmm. from the body but or from the church. Mm-hmm. But, you know, yeah, it's just one of those things where I'm kind of in a similar boat where I'm like, wait, hold on. Like, what's are we just going to bypass this? Like, this yeah. is real. 
So I can't like, you know, I'm not a, a pastor of a church. Right. So I don't know the, the, the responsibilities of being a shepherd in that way. Right. Like, you know, but I am a, a sheep and I can, uh, you know, talk to what it's like to be shepherd. Right. Shepherded. Herded? That don't sound like a word. Herded. Herded. Yeah. But, you know, I, I worry that um, that's where like white fragility comes into play. Mm-hmm. Cause like, you know, I have a white pastor right now too in Portland, Oregon. Right. So like, right white city and like we're considered like the hip church it's like <laughs> oh, it's a little uzi whoever in church today. that's wild like pastor wears yeezys on stage oh, he's dope yeah. right he's a yeah. cool human like you know and his wife is dope like they're you know they are they have a heart for you know our city and a heart for you know what it is that you know we're doing right as believers and like they they believe in like you know the radical transformation that can happen from, you know, having a relationship with God. Right. So, you know, I don't negate that, you know, I think they still believe in that, but I think like, there's some things that like, you know, we haven't really talked about as Christians. And like, if you really examine your, your religion, right. Like Christianity has killed more people of color than you might want to think about. Like, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And has like really raped and pillaged in the name of Jesus, yeah. like lots of countries, right? So like you know we haven't really talked about the violent past of our our religion, and like what does that mean, mm-hmm. right? Like you know if we're really like going back and we want to like really examine Christianity, like like. Let's talk about these things, right? But that don't sound good in church. Like, right. <laughs> that doesn't make people leave, like, you know, I feel filled up, right? Which is what the Gospels are supposed to do, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's supposed to be good news, right? You know, but I think, like, we have to also understand the context of our space. And I don't, I think, like, right now, the church is not doing a good job, good job of, like, meeting this moment. And like really like engaging with like what it means to be the church right now. Like, yeah, I mean, shoot, like I feel like we need to be like I said, leaders, we need to be setting the example. Like it's I don't like God didn't say this was going to be easy and is always going to be great. Like we're supposed to be uncomfortable, you know, and if we truly want to bring, you know, bring people salvation and things. We have to reach out. We have to be present. We have to, we cannot be scared. And if, you know, if, if no one else out here in the world is like willing to have these, like if we're not having these conversations Mm -hmm. and willing, like how can we expect others to do that type of work too? Like we are supposed to be not, you know, quote unquote above all of that stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. So like a lot of like the church has to do a lot of work internally, like, Yes. There's a lot of work to do. But I think a lot of us have to do some internal work, too, on like an organization level. And yeah. I wanted to we don't have to talk too much about it because I know you've talked about it on so many big platforms. But um, there's some internal work that needs to be done that needed to be done from your institution, um, your place of employment. And you you mm-hmm. called them out a little bit. Um, yeah. What what happened there? Like, you don't have to get into too much detail, but. 
What's up? So, um, I guess like I had come back to work for the brand full time. Um, it was again one of those like amazing moments where I ended up getting a job on my team that I like really cared about. Um, and I came back on the same team I had interned with, um, the men's originals design team. And when I come back onto the team, it was, it looked very different than when I was an intern. Um, and the amount of time that had passed, I would guess it was like maybe like a, a year and a half, maybe two years, a year and a half, excuse me, I think that um, I had been away um, finishing my degree and stuff. So by the time I had come back, a lot of people had left the brand, like some of my close friends, and it was a lot of diversity that had left the team. So I remember thinking like, oh, this is interesting. Like, I wonder why they left. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I called a couple of them and they were essentially like, I had to leave like for myself, like, cause I didn't feel like I could show up as myself at that space. So, you know, they, they were basically like, don't change who you are um, to fit the space. Like, you know, they'll try to do that. And like, it might put a bad taste in your mouth. I was like, what? That's crazy. This is not the, play the Adidas I remember. Like, right. you know, my team was amazing and like, we're democratic and like every voice counts. And <laughs> know all these things that are true but don't necessarily show up in um, a space like that so you know doing my job every day became really obvious to me that you know I went from like working with a bunch of different kinds of people to working with majority white men and like it became really awkward for me to like show up as my full self and like you know I experienced a lot of difficult like situations but by no means were they like as egregious as other experiences that other black people have had at the brand right like i remember like you know after having these experiences and like sitting in you know a space where you know there's a confederate flag in our imagery deck or you know my director posts a racist analogy to an Asian man calling him like Bruce Lee, right? Like all these things, like you know, really like these are like these really overt, like crazy, like yo, what? Like why would there be a Confederate flag image in your inspiration deck? That's crazy. Mm. Or you know, why would your director like post that photo of you know? an Asian guy, you know, named Bruce Lee, that's not really Bruce Lee. Like, why would they, and like put a whole bunch of miscellaneous, you know, people are commenting with a bunch of miscellaneous Asian emojis, right? Like, why would they do that? That is so terrible, right? Yeah. Those type of stories really grab attention for white people to be like, oh my God, that's, a, that's crazy, <laughs> right? Right. Um, but what doesn't grab attention are these microaggressions, which I'm just gonna go ahead and call them aggressions. They're not micro at all. Like, you know, we like to call them micro because they don't show up in an overt way. But I would argue that like covert racism is more damaging. So- I would agree with that. Um, like, because it, it sits with you in your head and you think about it. And it's like one of those things where it like eats away. It's not as like 
you know, you can't articulate it as quickly, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it wasn't necessarily that those weren't hurtful. Those were, right? Like to see a Confederate flag, you know, wave at my workplace after I've been told to like, you know, design for the urban consumer, which means black people, right? Like that just made me like cry at the wall when I'm looking at it. I'm just like, you don't know how many like of my people died that, you know, for people to wave that flag, you know, and to see it still be waved in a sense, right? That is disheartening as hell. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. I can't even begin to like, like, I'm still trying to figure out how to articulate that trauma, right? So, you know, this is probably like the first time I'm talking about it without crying. And that happened over a year ago. So, you know, I'm just now, a year and some change later, able to like speak to this thing that happened to me. But what is more difficult to articulate is like the stuff where it's like, you know, oh, you're not really white, right? I was told, or not really black, right? I was told that by somebody white at work. Like, you're not really black. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I am. Like, you know, I was told, like, do you sleep at uh, on a pillow at night? Your hair's just so fluffy. Like, <sighs> yeah, I don't like levitate in my uh, sleep. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, uh, I'm. Yeah, like, sometimes you, it's just like, what? Am I a human? Yes. I think one of the things that I'm doing now, like, that I think like is a good tool to give people for when they're dealing with microaggressions is like to question the same question back at the person asking it. Like if somebody's like, you're not really white, are you? It's like, do you think I'm white? Mm. They then have to answer their own question and be like, ah, that's like, why did I ask or that? Like, like, you know, do you sleep on a pillow at night? Do you think I sleep on a pillow at night? <laughs> They'd be like, well, duh, that's kind of silly. Like, yeah, you would sleep. You're a human, right? Yeah. It makes them have to answer for the question and the labor that they're putting on you. That they have, like, it's the homework they haven't done, which speaks to a bias that they have, right? Right. So, you know, that's something I've been doing lately. It's it's an uncomfortable thing to do because it makes them uncomfortable. Like, but I was uncomfortable when you asked me the question. Sure. So yeah. So what? So what? Um, we it's all right. Have, we shouldn't have to endure that. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, but it's like the, the consistency of those that like stack on top of each other and make it so that like you don't want to talk about it exactly. and you do kind of just sit in it. And like I for a really long time, for almost a whole year, like just sat with those. And I was just like, you know what? My mom taught me to like just really just let my work speak for itself and like you know, go 200% to their 80, you know what I mean? And like, you know, let mm. me just get, get into that, right? Like, let me just be good at my job and maybe that will be enough, right? So um, I felt really small at work and like I was getting belittled and like, you know, as a woman, like we can remove race out of it, right? And like, I was just really in a space where I was talked down to and patronized a lot I was told, you know, like, oh, you're just so new in your career that, you know, you don't understand. So, like, you know, when you're here long enough, you'll know. Hmm. Like, 
I thought I was hired for my opinion. I thought I was hired for, you know, the skill set I bring. I thought I was hired for all these things. I didn't realize I was hired just to be here and not contribute in any way or be valued, right? So, you know, I I really, really sat with the fact that, like, you know, this wasn't a space that I felt like I was going to grow in. And it became really difficult. And I started to get like really sad about it because I was like, this is like, this was my dream. Like, I remember being like, just so excited and like hopeful for what Adidas was and like what it had been to me. It changed my life. Right. Like, you know, this was an answer to many prayers. Right. And prayers I didn't even have words for. Right. So I, I'm I'm in the space and it it's become a nightmare. And I remember being like, okay, God, like get me out of here. <laughs> like, I'm out. I'm done. I'm not even asking for you to make it <laughs> get me out of uh, here. Like this, I don't I said I don't want to I remember I would like cry in my car before going into work. It was just so excruciating. And like that pain, like Nobody describes that and tells you that that comes with a corporate job and being black in a corporate space. Like no, nobody wants to be crying in their car before they walk into a space that should be their dream job. Like mm-hmm. people like me don't don't get into spaces like this and I'm have the nerve to sit in my car and cry about it. That's a real thing. That's not like some like, you know, I'm like so sad and I'm like my life's so hard. I'm not whining. This is like true pain, yeah. right? Like So, you know, I remember like being like, God, like, I don't know what you plan in here or what this is, but like, I really need you to show up immediately Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I'm really suffering right now. And I now realize what that suffering was for, right? Like. God had to keep me in a space and say, no, I need you to see a Confederate flag, Julia. I need you to experience this, these microaggressions enough. I need you to like be in a, you know, a space where you are patronized and that your blackness and your feminine energy intersect and you need to feel that pain because your story is something that needs to be shared. Right. Yeah. And like, It's so wild because, like, the people that are usually in spotlight don't want to be. And, like, I never wanted to be, like, some big star. It was never my intention to, like, you know. I, like, never was the type of fashion student that, like, wanted their own line. Like, I never, like, you know, I never was that, that person. And, like, I just wanted to, like, be one of these, like, behind the scenes people that's, like, oh, yep. I wanted to be the person that designed dope shit for people back home that don't have it. Yeah. Like, cause I remember like being somebody who shopped at thrift stores and Plato's closet. Cause I'm a, one of four. Right. I don't, we never went to the mall to spend thousands of dollars on new school clothes. Right. Like, you know, my mom would be like, you get 50 bucks to go into Play-Dohs and get yourself some new school clothes and that's it for the year. Mm-hmm. Like, you can go maybe if you sell some clothes and make some extra money, but like, you know what I mean? Like, 
So for me to like be at Adidas and to be designing stuff for people that don't have much, it's like this should be the coolest. I have the coolest this job. Your, this on should be your moment to yeah to be able to provide right. that experience for others. Mm-hmm. Right. So you know, it's painful to think about the fact that like you know God had to keep me there, right? And you know, I realize now why. And, you know, I never, ever, ever, ever wanted, like, to be, like, on a New York Times podcast. That was not, like, Julia when she came to Adidas to go, you know what I want? (laughs) Fortune. You know what I want? (laughs) This way. Like, I don't want that. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, you know, and a lot of people have been asking, like, well, you trying to burn the place to the ground? Like, what do you want? It's like. If I like truly did not care about this space, I would have pieced out. Right. Big time. Right? But this is a space that I care about so deeply. Like it was a promise to me. Right? Mm-hmm. And so like it matters. And it really does matter for a space like this to change, right? Cuz like you know, I'm not doing this because I think I'm going to see all the benefits of it. Believe me, policy change a lot, right? I might not reap any benefits of this. In fact, I may lose my job um, if we're going to go there, right? Yeah. Like this, this space, right, means a lot to me. And it means a lot to me to leave, a, like some black girl is going to walk into the space that I leave. And she needs to know that she can speak up about her experiences in a space and not feel small. And that's the legacy I want to leave. Because so often Black people shrink themselves, their experiences, their ideas, their personalities, like they shrink all the things that make them them to fit into a mold that was never made for them. And they got to know that they can walk into a space and speak about that and talk to that and speak to that giant, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, it's like so much more important than drawing on, you know, illustrator pretty close. It's so much bigger than like just telling a good story. And what's been excruciating about this experience is that it's, it's really awkward because nobody else is coming forward with their stories. Right. right. There's been very few people scattered across the brand that have gone public and shared what happened to them in a space. And because of that, it has become a Julia Bond kind of show because I keep speaking about it mm-hmm. and I'm not going to shut up. So, you know, there's been like an awkwardness there because it the way it looks, it looks like Julia is just going Hey, Adidas, you're terrible. And like, I'm putting my name out there. It looks like I'm just angry and outside, right? But truly, at the heart of it, I'm past anger. I'm at disappointment, right? And I'm going to speak to Adidas and say, hey, like, what you are doing is performative. All these things that you're offering up to people is performative, You have yet to address your inside, which guess what? Your employees 
They're your biggest ambassadors here. We are the ones that make this brand what it is. We are the ones that infuse it with the ideas and the and bring the creativity to the brand. And guess what? We got friends. So we call our friends and say, hey, yo, you should come here. Mm-hmm. Right? I want to be able to do that with the space. But as of right now, like, I can't be an advocate for Black people to come here. It's dangerous for them. I don't want Black people to be crying in their cars before they walk into a dream job. I don't want Black people to be, like, traumatized by seeing a Confederate flag and frozen by what on, on not having tools to know how to deal with it, right? Mm-hmm. They got to know that they can speak and speak loud and clear to what it is that's happening in the space because it's an evil White supremacy is an evil. And like, we have to really like address that. And like, it shows up in all these different ways and it shows up in like tiny ways. And like the people that give silent nods to it by remaining quiet about what happened to them, like it will allow it to continue. So that's why I'm so adamant about sharing the story, right? And like critiquing that system and critiquing like, you know, what it is that I'm speaking to. It's broken, mm-hmm. right? You know, so that's why I'm so like, you know, on fire about, you know, getting a brand like Adidas to do a hard thing, which is acknowledge that they've participated in that. No other sportswear brand is doing that. Nike's not doing it. Under Armour's not doing it, right? Like nobody else. Mm-hmm. It's actually like saying why they're doing all these things. And Adidas could be the first one. Can you imagine like just pipe, you know, dreaming high in the sky, right? If Adidas says, yo, we've participated in systemic racism and we recognize that we've allowed it to happen in our space. No more. We're sorry that it happened. And like, we're going to make active steps to making sure it doesn't happen here. People would be throwing their money at this brand. They'd be like, yo, they're actually about it. Look at a brand like Ben and Jerry's, right? Like they have a history of being about it, let me add, right? Like right. from their inception, they've been about it, mm-hmm. right? You know, Adidas hasn't necessarily been about it, right? So like for them to like say like white supremacy exists here might okay. be a little bit of that, right? <laughs> but what I'm saying is like if they can own up and have accountability, right? Like that's what makes it so um, difficult right now is that we've actioned on things without addressing the elephant in the room. Mm. It's like, okay, well, why are you giving $120 million to the world? You know, black communities, why are you hiring more, you know, this percentage more black and Latinx people? Why are you giving out 50 scholarships? Also, how do any of those things address what's happening inside your walls? You know what I'm saying? Like, how yeah. do any of those actions eradicate racism? Right. Again, that's 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 risky to call yourself out on something like that. And there's a lot at stake. And it takes, again, um, like you brought it up earlier, it takes a lot of humility that I think none of us really have, you know, especially at bigger, bigger corporations and organizations. But I think it's, you know, something that, that I picked up on that I relate to a lot in the way that you've been moving around is that you understand that 
that this is bigger than you as an individual and it's not about you and it's not about what you want. It's about the people who are before you, it's the people who are coming up after you. It's this is this is a legacy. Everything we're doing, we know that that the work that we're doing now is not we're not gonna find a book into it. Like we know that we are we are fighting and working so that the next person can pick up where we left off and keep this thing moving. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, a lot of my like philosophy and what I'm working on, like the things that I like to do too, kind of have that same, um, that same tone to it. Like, I don't know. And I have a feeling, and I think that is special within the communities of color because a lot of times we kind of have to look out for one another. So we're always looking out for the next people and we're always talking about legacy. Um, mm-hmm. I felt that way when, when I got my, my job at, you know, at the art museum when I was working there. And mm-hmm. um, I was one of very few people of color in, on the staff. And I was like, you know what, when I'm here, I, while I'm here, I got to make sure that, that my voice is heard and that I'm speaking for other people so that when I get out of here, that they can be set up with the tools to succeed and contribute in a positive way. It's not just about me trying to further my career and do this thing. Sure, that's happening, but we also are right, or you know, we are doing work for the people behind us, but also doing service to the people before us. Like I'm always thinking about my grandparents and the legacy that they left for me to have the opportunity to be in the position that I'm in now we're all connected and like we're all working together. And I think that that is something that's so important to know and so important to think about like every action that we do, like there it's, it's, yeah, it's just bigger than just than us, you know? And so that's why it, it does get so emotional for, for you before you go into, before you go into work, because there's so much at stake, you know, mm-hmm. imagine like, this could like, you know, I think this, the, the movement that you kind of have going on right now, I'll call it a movement. I know you probably hate that, but uh, um, the, the, <laughs> the decision and moves that you're making right now, that you have a chance to, you know, they have a chance to release you. Like there's a chance that that could happen. And then that could even backfire the message that you're trying to put forth. And they could, that could prevent other people and women of color specifically to come in. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think that's going to happen, but I'm just saying there's so much at stake with all the decisions that we have to make and all the moves that we make because there is a microscope and it comes in it's in a generalization that if one of us does X things, all of us will do something, certain things mm-hmm. of that nature. But I just think it's really interesting and something that we have to really consider as, as, as black people and own up to the fact, I think I feel prideful in that. Like, I think it's, it's hard, makes the work a little bit tougher but I feel a sense of pride that, you know, I'm doing stuff that other people before me laid the foundation for me to to keep this thing moving. And I can do more to let someone else come up and do the next thing. There's something really unique and special about that. But mm-hmm. it can get but it can be really challenging. I think that we're in one of these moments in time where we're in a challenging moment where it's like, OK, y'all got to do the hard work like right now so we can so we can, you know, help out the next gen. So. Mm-hmm. I like what you're doing. Oh, wow. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Quite uncomfortable. I think like that needs to be said too. Like 
you know, I've been told like, oh, you're so brave. Like, you know, you're so courageous. And, you know, I've gotten a lot of black people that are like, yo, we stand right behind you, girl. I'm right behind mm. you. And I'm like, at first I would say thank you. Like, cause I didn't quite know, but it didn't sit with me when people were like, I'm right behind you, girl. Because it let me know, like they're perfectly comfortable with like, letting me catch the bullets and the fire mm. and like, you know, they will let me do that. Right. Without standing next to me. Right. Cause what's more powerful, right? Like, you know, I'm not trying to be a martyr. Like it's COVID. I want my job. <laughs> yeah. Like ain't nobody trying to like lose a job right now. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, but I think like, People have to get uncomfortable enough with those systems that make them so, and those lies that make them so comfortable. Because like for me, I had to get fed up with the lies I was even telling myself, right? Mm. Like, you know, oh, this place ain't that bad. Like, you know, ain't it ain't never going to change here. Yeah. Like, you know, I had to really, I had to get uncomfortable with that space and like look at it and be like, why are you so comfortable sitting in that? You'll be quick to complain about it, though, real mm. quick. Like, and as a community, like a black community, I think we're really good at complaining about stuff, like expert level, like boss Bowser level. Like we, <laughs> we really like got that part down. We make our little groups. We make our black groups in the spaces that we're in, and we get together. And we go, it's terrible here. Yeah, it is. It's terrible here. Yeah, it is. And then nothing really comes out after that. Yeah. Right. Like we go back into it and then we text each other in the meetings like this is crazy. We'll never call it out. Right. And, you know, I think what brands are most afraid of right now is if black people would actually say what it is that they've experienced. That's why, like, you know, Adidas is treating me as a threat. Because mm-hmm. they're like, oh, my God, one of them's talking. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right. Like. And what I, you know, would want and encourage more people to do is to really sit with their fear about why they're not speaking up. Because like I said before, like this, my experiences, baby, I've only been at the brand a little over a year, right? Like, can you imagine people who've been there for like five plus 10 years? Mm-hmm. Can't imagine if I'm only experiencing this one and a half years in, like, come on. It's disheartening to know that, like, you know, a lot of the black community is comfortable with being in that, right? And that's something that I've had to really address. Like, does this space align with what, you know, I would like to see from a brand that I work for, Mm. right? And, like, I think it's going to be very telling how Adidas chooses to move forward. So, you know, I'm really having to answer a lot of questions right now, like, I want nothing more than to like walk back into work and do my job. Like I'm put on this earth to, I'm a designer. Like that's why a brand like Adidas, you know, called the creator brand might make sense for somebody like me. Mm-hmm. But like what I'm seeing is that like it falls really, really short of that. Mm. You know, they say like through sport, we have the power to change lives. That is our statement as a brand. You realize how powerful a statement that is. It's like, you said you have the power to change lives. 
that could mean you could change it for the good or for bad. Like, and with that power comes a lot of responsibility. Like, and you know you hold that power. Hence, that's why your mission, that's your mission statement, right? So, you know, you said also Black Lives Matter, right? Like, so how? Because this is a Black life. So, you know, that's why, like, acknowledging a problem is so important. Because you know, a lot of people will be like, you know, words don't mean anything. I need to see actions. It's like, yeah, you do, right? But it's not an either-or situation. Words, like, your actions will follow what you speak. And because we have yet to address it, we don't know what we're actioning on. We've got like probably 12 different committees now. Everything's all complicated inside. Nobody could tell you what committee does what. Jeez. Like we haven't addressed it and we haven't named the problem. So everybody's like trying to fight these little things. Whereas if we have in the beginning, like if we address it, we say this exists. Now everything feeds into how to fix that problem. You know, they have the saying inside called United Against Racism. I'm like, that's not personal enough for Adidas. No. I'm sorry. Like, United Against Racism? Racism is everywhere. Like, <laughs> yeah. It is everywhere, right. right? Like, you need to address how you, Adidas, your house operates with systemic racism. And you have mm -hmm. to call it that. Because not only do the employees need to hear it, the consumers, people who spend their dollars and participate with this brand need to understand that the brand is changing. Right. So so do you think or do you feel that they're listening? Like, are they hearing you? What's happening? Everybody wants to talk, right? You know, everybody, like, wants to, like, oh, sit down, have a conversation. Oh. And I'm like, until you acknowledge the problem, like, I'm not going to sit in a meeting and convince you that it exists. Mm -hmm. Like, that's a labor that I'm not going to do. I'm not going to sit in a meeting and convince you that systemic racism exists at this brand. It does. Right. The very fact that they're even having a conversation about united against racism means that there is a system that exists for you to be united against. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, mm -hmm. Like, I'm not going to sit in a room and, and chat with you about, like, you know, why it exists you know, how it, it, you know, it shows up. It's like, it does. Right. So, you know, there's been very little talk inside about like when and where acknowledgement will happen. There's been so much talk about all the commitments that we've made as a brand. Right. By the way, without consulting the community first, you know, statistically speaking, like majority of black people that are here at the brand will not be here come 2025 like those right. numbers exist at our brand like that is like what our turnover rate is right like so 2025 most of the black faces that are here will not be here mm. come then right so they're not even gonna see these things right and because there there's no sustainability and 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 accountability in any of our commitments because they all have end dates and quotas so, like, what happens after we reach 30% more Black and Latinx hires? We just solve the problem? That's it. Yeah. What happens after the $120 million runs out? What happens come 2025 and we've given out all the scholarships? You cannot put an end date on racism. 
Cannot, you can't do that. You can't put a dollar amount. But that's how these corporations operate. They operate with deadlines, dollars. That's what they, they like know. They like to see nothing next to it. That's capitalism at exactly. play. Exactly. It's, yeah. It's like, but you gotta realize that racism is a human issue. Mm-hmm. It's a human. It's a heart issue. Right. So like, it's it's actually like you could back it up with dollar signs. Right. We can pull up those numbers and pull up how that this, you know, this human issue has caused damage to other humans, right? We could pull those numbers up, which I'm sure you have already as a brand. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you haven't addressed the the human level of things, which needs to happen for it to not be hollow. Yeah, I can only imagine the amount of patience, restraint you've had to build for all this. But again, like it's, and wish, you know, hopefully that, Hopefully you can inspire some other participants and other folks in within the institution to kind of speak up as well, because they're speaking of numbers, there is power in numbers. And so I think if more people are communicating about this, you could see some expediency in some of these, you know, different actions that could potentially take mm-hmm. place. It's my hope that people would understand that like there needs to be like a bigger vision for these things. Like, and I think there are numbers inside that are working on policy, right? There are numbers inside that are like, we need more black people here. We need this, we need that. It's like, okay, like you're saying all these things, like, but what happens if, you know, those numbers get negotiated down? What happens, like, there's no, there's no like long-term vision mm-hmm. like happening inside, which makes it really awkward. Yeah. Mm. Well, we will be, me following for sure and continuing to support and also help contribute to that fight too so so what's on your feet though are you still wearing a dude oh okay no are you when you're outside <laughs> it's still you, a dude i'm not a, I, it's majority of my closet <laughs> it's like, right that's my uniform so all right fair enough fair, fair enough. enough um until until otherwise, it's Adidas right now. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I want to know through, you know, you kind of alluded to it a little bit before, but I want to know, um, you like through all of this kind of emotional strain and this wave of new wokeness and just this moment that we're in, like, like a, a lot of what, you know, I think that we need as black people, I think that we need to start and it's buzzwordy, but we need to start healing. Like we need to like, like there's a, like this is, we we put ourselves through a lot of trauma and we've been through a lot of traumatic experiences and they're not going away anytime soon. But I think that um, we need to acknowledge and begin to like dissect some of those instances and some of those emotions that we're feeling and the things that you're describing. So I wonder now, like, if, you know, if you have any thoughts on that or if there's any, even anything that you're doing now that can, that is starting to help you cope with some of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so number one thing I would say is that um, I am really connected to God right now. <laughs> yeah. Like, like no other, like, first and foremost. And like, 
I'm not ashamed to say that. Mm-hmm. Like they like to cut it out of podcasts and stuff that come out, but I'm like, that is what my lifeline is right now. Because right now I'm in a real big faith zone. Um, and like, I got to ask God every day, like, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? Because I don't know what today has. <laughs> like, yeah. So I've really had to like sit in like crazy faith in this moment and trust, right? For things that I can't see, but that I know are true. And um, I've also had to seek wise counsel because that's what our book tells us to do too. Like, and that means therapy. Mm-hmm. Yay. Snaps for therapy, everyone. <laughs> while I've been in therapy, like I've pursued that, you know, and while I've been in, in it, like I've been uncovering a lot about myself and like working to stop like generational things we've normalized, like as a community, like, mm-hmm. um, for example, one of the things that like I've really been addressing in therapy is like the idea of like hitting children like and like as black community like it's just natural it's like yeah i got whooped oh like, yeah mm-hmm. it's just a thing yeah i mean like you choose but choose the belt the switch you know twig it. what you you know whatever or the hand which one you want right that's it um you know i remember being at school and like bragging about how bad one of mine was and how i made it out alive <laughs> like <laughs> You know, so like yeah. we normalize that, but like, you know, I've really been thinking about what my childhood looked like and like some of the fear that was there as a kid, which therefore brings me to my point now where it's like, do I still feel certain like fear for repercussions and retaliation due mm. to what I experienced as a kid? Hence why most black people are quiet, right? Like, you know, we can add thorough lines and link things like that. So, you know, working to like heal some of these generational wounds like that black people experience, like, you know, that's something that my therapist and I have been talking about. And I was very specific when I was looking for a black female therapist. Mm-hmm. That's important. Who was a Christian that understood my faith, but also understood my reality as well. Like what I'm living through. Yeah. So I think Sometimes as Christians, we like try to pray everything away and that's like a way to not address the issue. And like even Christians, I think sometimes look at therapy as like a negative thing. But it's like God told us to seek wise counsel. That don't mean just church people. Right. Right. Like I'm going to a professional. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. So it's been really helpful for me. And like, you know, I would encourage everybody to like pursue what therapy looks like for you because every black person on planet earth should be in therapy yeah i was gonna say shout out to therapy shout out to black therapy like like, it's (laughs) it's more helpful than than you even think even yeah i can attest as someone who also recently found a therapist it is there's there's some work that we have to do and i think like wow because you don't even know that mm-hmm. it's like what you gotta do exactly like, it's like an uncovering that has to happen mm-hmm. right um and an acknowledgement yeah see yeah. how that works yes. like 
Yep. You know what? We just need to go and get Adidas as a whole therapist. Can we have like corporate <laughs> therapy <laughs> sessions? So, <laughs> you know, we need to go through this 12 steps so you can actually okay. acknowledge <laughs> that y'all are racist. Come on. Right. Oh. Seriously. Yeah. So, you know, that's been something like that I've really like, that's, I guess, the new thing. But, you know, truly like looking after like myself and my space, like as a black woman, like I realized like, um, ain't nobody looking out for black women's spaces, like, but God mm-hmm. and black women. So um, I had to really like be very uh, diligent about what my space looked like mm-hmm. because um, I would frequently just like allow people to like say things around me or um, jeopardize my peace because I wasn't looking out for my space. So, you know, there'd be conversations where I would have to be like, I'm actually going to walk away because, you know, this conversation is not, it's hurting me, right? So I'm going to peace and we can pick this up at a later date or, you know, whatever. And, you know, I've also had to like, you know, I said earlier in the podcast, but I got to like cancel plans with people. And not feel bad about, like, not having a reason why. Like, it ain't because I'm busy doing something else. Mm. Like, I am just canceling. Yeah. And that's enough. Like, I don't have to be like, I'm canceling because I got this deadline. Or I'm canceling because I'm going to go do this other thing. Something conflicted. Something came up. It's like, hey, we need to reschedule. When are you free? Like, (laughs) that's it. That's, like, that takes a whole level of boldness, too. It's tough. Yeah. You feel like you owe somebody an explanation yeah. for your mental, san- like, keeping your mental space. Yeah, like, but, like, we, like, you don't need to be everywhere at any time. Like, you, rest is so important to just overall well-being, and we forget mm-hmm. it. We made mm-hmm. this stupid thing called FOMO, like. <laughs> like we made that up for what man just chill stay at home walk like, outside by yourself you know read a run book. into the person you were supposed to have meetings with and be like hey yeah just okay. like something like yeah i think that's really scary though it that's is. so scary it's hard. i still struggle with it i'm not an expert at it at all i'm but like, terrible at it you know what i mean like you really are like I think I even rescheduled on you and gave some excuse. Yeah. Even like, <laughs> even if look, I didn't care about the. I know you had deadlines, and I'm like, I cool. I'm cool with it. You didn't have to say any of that. We can reschedule. This is life. No, like, and that's the thing. Like, we think like, you know, if I don't give an excuse, like, this person gonna think I'm just. I don't even really even know what it is. It's like. Yeah. It's an irrational fear. That's really yeah. what it is. It's okay. Yeah. It's it's something that we all got to work on. I mean, I've even had people, you know, tell me that they're like phone broke or something. Like, that's happened. And I'm just like, wow. it's it's cool. <laughs> like, it's cool if you just don't have time or just don't want to. I get it. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes I just, like, want to play video games and, and not talk to anybody. And that's it. So that's, a, that's that on that. Listen to some tunes. <laughs> um, One thing I do want to ask everyone at the end of the shows is there's a recommendation section so if there's anything that you're 
reading or listening to, watching, that's kind of getting you through? Doesn't even have to be on topic, but that's just mm-hmm. like that's your jam. Like, you got anything? <laughs> any recommendations for anybody? Um, so I think like for anybody who's doing like anti-racism work, it is really heavy. Um, and so you got to like balance it out with something light. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So I've never watched The Office before, so I've been like really into it, and like mm. I'm having a hard time because I'm on season nine now, and I'm like I don't want it to end. Oh, it's about to be over. I know. Yeah, that's I it. Know. Well, I but know. after you finish that, like, if you you can just watch Parks and Rec. Right. That's what that? my yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, you watch that. You're good. You just bounce good. right. <laughs> you got time. So I've been watching that. I've been reading a lot. Um, uh, reading a lot of. Like I mentioned earlier, Bell Hooks book and also um, some James Baldwin and also like some uh, Toni Morrison right now, like just black authors that are articulating a black experience. Um, I feel like they give me vernacular to speak to what I am looking at in a way that is so it's just art. It's Mm -hmm. plain and simple. Yeah. And then um, I highly recommend Epsom salt baths because they're amazing. Mm. And that is just baths. another lifeline right now. Nice. And one other thing, like um, go for a walk. Yes. Um, Get be outside. outside. Just trying to fill my brain with like happy things as much as I'm like digesting and looking at like very hard things. Like respect you know? it. Yeah, this it's. You got to balance with this because like on top of all this other work that we're doing, like it's a pandemic and people right. losing jobs. And that's a whole nother like that's a whole nother movie. You can yeah, watch. y'all please vote. Please yeah. vote. Please vote because I don't care if you like the guy or not. Like we got to have somebody in office that's doing a good job. It's not about you anymore. As an it's like really about lives at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, do you want to keep going down this road, like, of not being able to be outside? Because I'm getting tired of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel I'm it. Really tired. Yeah. So, agree. I agree 100%. And vote early, vote by mail. <laughs> yeah, the whole U- yeah, the whole USPS thing is a thing too. But wow. Is there anything else that you would like to add? Anything you want to send people home with? Are you good? Did you get it all on the table? I talked a lot. So. That's okay. <laughs> but I think like one thing for people to realize is that Michelle Obama said it best. She was like, your story has power. And it does. And like, you should share it by any means necessary. As Malcolm X said. Um, so <laughs> like know that like this work is really difficult it's not comfortable but to rest in like the peace that is like standing in your truth like there's a peace that comes from that and like i will say that like this time in my life i've experienced more peace than i probably should (laughs) Mm -hmm. like in all of this like there's a layer of peace that is with me so breathe drink water eat green stuff and breathe (laughs) yes amazing cool well appreciate your time thank you this has been amazing as always so of course 
I want to give another shout out to Julia for being willing to offer her time up and just have a really good conversation. I really hope y'all enjoyed that one. Man, she got a lot going on, so feel free to follow her to see what she's up to. She's on IG at Julia Elizabeth Bond, and you can follow her otherly project at underscore otherly underscore. That's O-T-H-E-R-L-Y. I'm also going to leave the written description in the notes. And shout out to today's sponsor, my space heater. And this thing got my feet cooking right now. I'm feeling good while I'm recording. <laughs> no, nah, but not seriousness, man. Thank y'all for listening and tuning in, man. This, I, I, I put a lot of work into this, and I'm really excited to see where this is going. And it wouldn't be uh, half as enjoyable if you, there wasn't anybody to listen to it. So I appreciate you hearing the stories out. And if you want to share your story, feel free to reach out to me. I'm available. You can look me up on IG, uh, on Twitter, whatever, at Savvyoso, S-A-V-V-Y-O-S-O. Or you can follow the podcast um, on IG. It's Tim's Pod, uh, T-I-M-S-P-O-D. And before I go, I just want to let y'all know that none of us have any idea what we're doing. We just become better actors. And with that, I pray that y'all stay safe. Peace.